0: Good morning, everyone. Happy Back to Church Sunday to you. Yeah, man, it's good to be back in the house of the Lord together. Um, I know people have been uh, going around, uh, traveling throughout the summer, uh, here, there, and everywhere. And it's good to uh, have you back with us worshiping God. So um, for those of you I don't know yet, my name's is Roland. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, but before we get into the Word of God today, what we're going to do is we're going to honor one of our own. There are both going outs and coming ins, right? Some of you are here in the city, um, freshly, uh, whether for school, work, or just having relocated and you're coming in. And the good news is is that in God, he says that you're blessed and you're going in and you're blessed and you're going out, right? And part of the covenant of God. But here's the thing. We also are a city and a church that sends people. And we wanted to honor one of our own today because Wes Nichols who has been one of our worship leaders for the past several years. Right here, Wes. Can you give it up for Wes? And Wes... Wes has done it the right way, he has served faithfully tirelessly in and out throughout the years as one of the leaders of our worship teams, helping to do outreach in the city, helping to really disciple people in the house. And he has been a blessing to many of us here. Those of you who don't know him, that's okay. He's actually going to one of our sister churches and will still be connected, but he's getting ready to be launched out so that he can be prepared to eventually help plant a church in the Dominican Republic. Okay, isn't that exciting? Okay. So he's going to be um, moving down to Florida. Um, He's going to be joining one of our churches there. And so we just want to pray for him as he goes. Okay. So Father God, we thank you so much that God, you have given us this great gift in this man of God of West. And God, we thank you that he's been faithful throughout these years to love you, to honor you, to serve you and to serve your people. God, we thank you that you've made him a worshiper who has truly taught us what it means to worship you in spirit and in truth. And God, we're praying that even as he's launched out of this place, that you would go with him. God, we agree with your word right now that he's your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which you've prepared in advance for him to do. So God, we pray that as he makes his move to Florida, you would prepare him, you would anoint him, and you would equip him for the works of service that you have for him, not only there in that state, but also in the Dominican Republic. God, we pray that you would build that team and let there be an apostolic sending to establish your kingdom for fruitful ministry for generations to come through their hands. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. All right, can everybody say amen to that? All right, so if you would, make sure, this is Wes's last Sunday before he moves, so love on him before he goes, okay? We love you, Wes. All right, so this is uh, Back to Church Sunday, and so what we are going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to go through a theme called Back to Church, okay? Um, There's a song that Uh, My daughter told me not to sing because probably you won't know it, (laughs) but it's actually a song called Going Back to Church, right? Many of you have grown up in the church and uh, had an experience at some point of your life in the church. Some of you have drifted from the church. Some of you have good experiences. Some of you have not so good experiences. But whenever we talk about the church of Jesus Christ, we're believing that it's all good, right? It's all good. Not not necessarily that people in the church always do the right thing things, but God's intention for the church is all good. And how many people know there's a difference? Hello? There is a difference. And so when we're talking about back to church, what we're talking um, talking about is coming back to the design of God, back to the place of God and understanding what he intended for his people to be. So today, if you wanted to um, take notes, what we're going to talk about is the church in the city. Okay, the church in the city. And to do so, we're going to talk about it in three parts. We're going to talk about the city of God that God describes in his word. You've heard that term over and over again as you read through the scriptures. You've heard about a place called Zion. Or maybe you just saw the Matrix movie and you're like, ooh, Zion, what's that? Okay, it's the city of God. We're going to talk secondly, not only about the city of God, but the church of God in the city. And then finally, we're going to end it by talking about coming to the wellspring of Christ within that city, okay? So we're gonna talk about the city of God, the church in the city, and coming to the wellspring of Christ in that city, who is Christ. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us today. God, we're asking that you would open it to us We're asking that you would help us to understand who you are, your design, and your plans for us as your people and for your church as a whole. God, help us to love you today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the city of God, starting off in Psalm chapter 87. If you don't have a Bible, you can look up on the screen today. This is one of these scriptures that actually help us understand what the city of God is whenever God's talking about the city of God. Now, before we do that, though, we wanted to start with this idea that the church is ultimately the place where you find the grace of God in the city. The church is where you find the grace of God within the city. You can go to all types of concerts. You can go to all types of events. You can go to all types of institutions. You can sit through all types of sermons or messages. And I'm not talking about sermons preaching the Bible. I'm talking about people who are on a soapbox, soapbox spreading a message or having an agenda, right? There are all types of places where you can go and hear something. But the church of Jesus Christ is a place where you should experience the grace of God. And if you are not familiar with the grace of God, whenever we talk about the grace of God, it is literally, despite where we've come from, despite what we've done up to this point or how we've lived our lives, it is literally God's kindness towards us. It is God treating us in a way that you and I do not deserve. All of us know that we've blown it at some point, right? Anybody agree with that? Anybody agree that you've lived in sin and deserve death and hell according to the word of God? Listen, I'm gonna have both hands up. You know, if I could put my feet up, I'd be there too. Right? I just can't levitate. So here's the thing: we know that we are in need of the grace of God. And of all the places that you can go in the city and try to find hope, try to find healing, try to find purpose, try to find identity, it's in the church of Jesus Christ where you're gonna find His grace. It's in the church of Jesus Christ where you're going to, if things are done right, have the word of God preached to you in such a way that you would come into contact with Jesus, our living hope, and the grace that he dispenses to us through him. And so we look at Psalm 87, and it's God describing why the church of the living God is so important to him. And it says in verse 1, On the holy mountain stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Selah, which means pause and think about that. Go on again. It says, among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Felicia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born here. Was born there, rather, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the peoples. This one was born there. Selah. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Now if you don't have a cultural context for this, you can read this and pretty much say, huh? what in the world is he talking about? What is Zion? What is the city of God? Who are these nations that he's talking about? And why is he saying that all my all the dancers and singers springs are found in them? Well I'm going to break it down for you. Number one, if you have an, any understanding of the city of God, The city of God or Zion was described as Jerusalem in the Old Testament. And in Jerusalem, we see that Jerusalem was a place of worship for Old Testament Israel. It's the place that they gathered to the temple. It's the place of common worship. It was a place of gathering where the sacrifices of God were offered to be able to make atonement for the sins of the people and bring them back into right relationship with God this city, Jerusalem, was the capital city of all Israel. So they said, amongst all the cities that exist in Israel, amongst all the tribes, the most important city is this Zion, this city of God, this place where worship takes place. But what you see is that God is very, say, very specifically saying that he loves. And if God loves something, how many people know that we need to conform our hearts to love the things that he loves if we're followers of his. If God's saying, I love the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob, you got to ask yourself the question, what's he talking about? Well, the Jacob, as you know, was the name of Israel, the people of Israel, And whenever they came into the land of Israel, God gave them an inheritance there, where the land was broken up, and each tribe got a piece of the land to live in and dwell in. And what we saw is that though they worshiped in Zion at the temple, they eventually dispersed and went to their own homes, right, and lived everyday life. And those were the dwellings of Jacob. It means their house, right? Right? And what God is saying is, yes, I love my people individually. But I love my family reunions more than any of the individual tents of my people. I love the gates of Zion where my people come together honor me and worship me, getting on the same page and receive my grace through what I dispense at that place of worship more than all of the individualized faith that each of you have. And that's a big deal in our present culture, is it not? Because in our present culture, we are so individualized, we inevitably hamstring ourselves, right? We talk about our individual faith, Our individual quiet time, our individual spirituality. And when we're disconnected from the city of Zion, the place that God actually brings his people together for worship, we miss the grace of God to actually go on in his mission and his purposes together. Does this make sense? God is saying, I love the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Now, that's a hard thing because you think that, well, I pray. Anybody pray in here? I read my Bible. Anybody read their Bible in here? Why can't God just meet with me where I am, right? Why can't God just meet with me where I am? Well, it's actually something that happens whenever you have to conform yourself to God's will and show up where he is. See, it automatically does something in your heart. It's not that God can't meet you in your bedroom. God can, amen to that. But God also says, I want you to bend to me. When he preaches his word, ultimately it's to change you, not to see how God can bend to you. And whenever you show up in the place that he's appointed, the place of his gathering, what he's doing is something inside of you to conform to his image and his his purposes that will ultimately lead you to his ends and not your own. That is the design of God. He loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Now whenever we think about that, we think about the fact that if we do not love what God loves, then ultimately we can miss his grace. If we do not conform to that which God is doing, we could also miss the very dispensary of the love and the power and the strength that he has for us. Now here's what we know out of Ephesians, that it is the basis of our faith that we connect daily with the grace of God. Because the grace of God is the means by which we've been saved. Is it not? it says in the Bible that it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is the gift of God, not by works, so that none of us can boast, right? But there's something whenever we think about grace nowadays, we don't just think about it as in an individualized, but we cheapen grace. We cheapen grace, because we don't know how grace is in effect supposed to work in our lives. And there was a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How many people have ever heard of a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Okay? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote during world, the World Wars, and he was actually trying to, he was a man of God, a pastor, trying to help the people in the midst of the resistance that was taking place. But he was trying to explain to the church what was necessary to walk in the grace of God. And so he actually wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. When you're coming into the house of God, ultimately, it's you being formed into the shape, the image of God, and being made a disciple. But there's a cost to being made a disciple, is there not? Anybody noticed that before? That it actually is a free gift, salvation, but discipleship costs you something but in the grace of God, we cheapen it when we think that it's only like this. This is what he said about cheap grace. He said, cheap grace means grace sold on the marketplace like cheap Jack wares. That was just a thing that people bought in the market. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance, and because because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing." Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would, be, what would grace be if it were not cheap? What is he saying there? He's basically saying that people come to God and they do whatever they want. They live however they want, always expecting God to take them back because grace is there and available for them, Right? I can go and go to the club and shack up with somebody the night before. And if I show up at church the next day, grace is there for me. I don't really have to repent. I can go on a drinking binge, you know what I mean? And do all manners of things that I don't remember. And don't oh, show up again because grace is there for me again. But the grace that that, that represents is a cheap grace. It's a misunderstanding of grace. God actually says, anyone who belongs to him, the Lord, though you might be able to fool other people, the Lord knows those who are his. And anyone who comes to the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And it's not a cheap grace that he gives us, but it's a costly grace. It's a costly grace. Then he went on to say this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer did. He said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. It's not the grace that God bestows on us, Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? Saying you can be forgiven. God bless you. Vaya con Dios. Right? Without any change of heart, mind, or life. That's cheap grace that we want to bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is Baptism without church discipline. When you're baptized into the name of Jesus, that means you're baptized into his body. That means you're connected to the body and you're living out his grace and his purposes as a part of his body, not some finger chopped off, shriveling on the side, wondering why it's struggling. That's cheap grace. Communion without confession is cheap grace where we just go through the motions. Anybody ever done that before? Just gone through the motions, taking the sacraments, right? Drinking of the blood and um, eating of the flesh represented in the communion cups of Jesus Christ, but having no confession of sin and no turning in repentance. That's cheap grace. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And whenever you show up in the house of the Lord, you're met not with cheap grace, but you're met with a costly grace, a grace that he calls you to that inevitably changes you from the inside out. And if you haven't been changed or if you're not willing to change, then you're still relying on a cheap grace that you're bestowing on yourself and it's not from the Lord. That's why the gates of Zion are important and that's where you're going to hear it in the house of the Lord. Amen? because on the streets, everybody will tell you why it's okay to live the way you want to live. Is that not true? Can you not find somebody who will approve of anything you want to do in the city? Can you not? If you talk to enough people, you will find somebody who agrees with you on anything you want to do, anything. But the word of God confronts us and it says, here's who God is. You must conform to him. This is the gospel. This is what he calls us to in the house of the Lord. This is what the city of God represents. But the good news is, it's not just for some people. It's actually for everybody. In the city of God, it said in the scripture that he said he would mention Rahab and Babylon, Philistia and Tyre and Cush. Who were these people back in Old Testament Israel? They were known as the enemies of God. They were known as people who came against the nation of Israel and constantly did war against them. But in Zion, in the city of God, here's the beautiful thing. It said that of them, it would be said that they were born here, that they were born in Zion, that they were born in the place where the word of God was exalted and the Bible was preached in such a way that they could see God clearly and he could make them a new creation. Is that not the gospel of Jesus Christ? that he says, I make you a new creation. Anyone who's in Christ, he says, is a new creation, that the old has gone and the new has come. And if you find yourself having lived for years in the same old way, you can repent today. Repent today, come to Jesus, and from the inside out, he'll make you a new man or a new woman and say, of you, you were born in the city of God. And then by faith, you can, through Jesus Christ, live as one who was born in his house. Meaning you have his DNA. You have his spirit living inside of you, which empowers you to live for him. You have his word directing you to show you how to live for him. And then you have the people of God surrounding you, encouraging you to continue on and not give up in him. That's what happens when people are born in the city of God. But when you see the church of Jesus Christ in the city, you understand that the church is God's vehicle through which to dispense grace as well. It's not just that you experience grace, but the church in the city is God's vehicle to dispense grace out of the city of God. It's literally his vehicle to change the city. And what we see is that, I mentioned last week a sociologist named Rodney Stark talking about the early church in the Roman Empire and in the city and what it did for the city in which it lived. And Lord knows we need some of the same things now if God is going to use his people to change a city. Rodney Stark said this. He said, Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms And new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent urban problems. To cities filled with homelessness and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. And if you go down even the needs of our city, how many people know nobody in here is going to answer the ills or the needs of this city on their own? Anybody ever read a list like that and said, golly, I want to do something to make a difference and see the grace of God impact that area of need within my city. Anybody ever had an issue, like a heart cry like that before? Well, how many people know the issues are bigger than you? They are bigger than you, but they're not bigger than God. And what God says is it's my church that is the means of grace to the city to deal with the ills that are the product of sin, that are the product of systemic, generational sin within the areas in which you live. But it's the ministry of presence within the city that matters. Presence, what do I mean by presence? Well, presence means that you're actually there, that you actually show up, right? It matters when you show up at church. Why? Not only because you receive the grace of God, but then you're able to share the grace of God with others. Anybody ever gotten an encouraging word that you desperately needed that week from another brother or sister who was sitting to the right or the left of you in the house of God? Anybody ever given a word like that to somebody? The word that sustains the weary. Why were you able to do it? You were able to do it because of the ministry of presence. In the same way, the church needs to be in the city to be present to actually minister the grace of God, involved in the affairs of the city. That's why on the third Sundays of the month, we're going to have what we call our cultural impact fairs where people can set up ways that they're ministering as the hands and feet of Jesus within the city to answer the ills of the city in which we live. And you can find other men and women of God here in this place who you can go out with to answer those ills, being a dispenser of the grace of God. But presence matters in that place. I think about how the Bible talks about the presence of God, right? And if you've ever read further in the Psalms, King David actually said about God's presence, where can I go that I, what? Am not in your presence, right? If I lie down at night, there you are with me. If I go down to Sheol, there you are, right? If I go down to the depths, you're right there with me. Good news, right? But there was something significant. Though God was omnipresent, there was also something significant about the temple. And when they showed up at the temple and started offering their sacrifices, there was something called the kibode of God, the glory of God that was released in the midst of the people standing in front of God's presence, giving sacrifices at his throne, and the power of God went out to change the cities in which they lived. And that's the importance of coming and worshiping him in Zion because in that place of strength, you take the glory of God with you out to dispense his grace. It's not just him always being around. You've got to acknowledge his presence. It's not just him being anywhere or everywhere. It's in in the place that he's determined for his meeting. And then from that place of strength, you go out to dispense his grace. That is the importance of the church in the city. Now, many of you are new to college. I heard a little bit, I was out getting water, but I heard a little bit of a cheer for some people who are students, and I know there's some students here, some of you are here who are new because you came to the city for work. And I read an article recently out of uh, the Gospel Coalition. Anybody heard of the Gospel Coalition before? Okay, they have a lot of uh, good, just gospel-centered articles. And there was one in particular about a man who was uh, talking about the need when you are a freshman to get grounded in and committed to a church. And he was talking to college freshmen who will have the temptation to be overwhelmed with their studies or overwhelmed with their new experiences, all the new freedoms that they have, and convince themselves that they don't need to go to church because they need their sleep more than church. Or they, they need to connect with that friend of theirs they met the night before, right? Rather than to show up in the house of worship. And he was talking about, not only them as freshmen, but anybody who's in any time of transition, why you need the house of the Lord to be an anchor to your soul. And hear me now, let me, hear, let me say this clearly to you. We're not just talking about Second City Church. You hear me? We're talking about the Capital C Church. So if you don't find yourself here, Fine. We need you to find yourself somewhere, a good Bible-preaching, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled church that you can walk with in the city in which you live. And he was saying that when people mistake their need for other things rather than being grounded in the church, he actually said this, you need the church because you ultimately need in the city to hear God's Word. You need to hear God's word. Anybody in a work environment where you're hearing God's word? Me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's about it. Cole. Okay, it's about it. Everybody else, you need to go to a place where you can hear God's word. You need the church because you need wise and godly mentors. How about this? Anybody got all the answers in here? Not me. Okay? You need wise and godly mentors. You need the church because you need accountability for your profession of faith. Isn't that a big one in the city? Isn't that a big one in the city? Anybody ever been dating somebody before and it took a while for you to admit that you were actually in a relationship on social media? Come on now, be honest. And you were like, am I really serious about this person because I have not changed my status? And you need some accountability for your faith if you're actually saying you belong to Jesus. Where do you find that? You find it in the house of the Lord. You need the church because you need reminders that your identity rests in Christ crucified. By his death, he purchased for you all the power, energy, and motivation you need to invest your life in a local church. But he said this, to quit attending church in college and I would dare to say in any time of transition not just in college but in any time of transition to quit attending church in college would be like Noah jumping out of the ark forsaking the chief means God was using to preserve him Can you imagine that He said the the flood is coming the flood is coming I want you to build an ark, Noah, and if Noah said basically, God, I got this umbrella, I'm good, and it can cover me, and it's a big umbrella, so it can cover me and my family, guess what would have happened to Noah? Drown, baby, drown. He can only tread water for so long. Same with you spiritually. You could only tread water for so long. Don't talk about, well, I haven't been around in a while and I'm doing fine. Well, let's see, when you tire out and the storms of life hit you, the storms of life hit you, you better believe you need the ark to keep you afloat. Now, Jesus is ultimately that ark, but his church is the body by which we're held up. And in this city, you're going to face all types of frustrations, all types of opposition, all types of pressures. And in this church, you'll see a picture. This is by a famous painter named Bonaventura Peters. He was basically a Flemish painter who wrote, like, drew a lot of pictures and painted a lot of like things. If you don't have an anchor, you're like the person heading towards those cliffs, ultimately going to end up in a wreck, without an anchor to your soul, the anchor of Christ, the anchor of the Word of God and the anchor of His people. He says, in the city, it's a dispensary of grace. But finally, it's not just a dispensary of grace, but it's where we find Christ Himself. Any good church, any biblical church, is where you ultimately come to the wellspring of Christ Himself. Remember, it said that all the singers and all the dancers... Their wellspring, Psalm 87. All their springs are found in you, right? Some of you never been in a church before where they have people dancing up front. Let me tell you, that's very biblical. Anybody know that? Oh, that's right. You you don't get to just dance in the club. You get to dance at church. (laughs) That's right. Oh, it's very biblical. There were people that God Himself had appointed in the house of the the Lord, in the temple, to worship God, not just with instruments, not just with singing, but David actually appointed people to dance in worship. What does that do? It frees our hearts, does it not? Come on now, if you came in all bound up and all stodgy, talking about, oh, well, God is good, God is great, you know, and all of a sudden you see somebody dancing, you're like, what are they so excited about? What in the world made them so free? Well, it's the salvation of God working in them, coming out of them, that gives God the worship he deserves. And even if you're not up there flinging flinging your arms too, all of a sudden you start moving side to side, right? I saw some of you, don't deny it. You start moving side to side. Why? Because there were singers and dancers in the house. And what they do is they're coming out of the wellspring that's in them of meeting Christ. And Jesus, he described himself very clearly in John chapter 6 this way. He said, not only am I the wellspring, but I'm also the bread of life. Everything that you're looking for in this city, it's ultimately found in me. If you build yourself on me, you'll find what you need to meet any need in this city, not only personally, but corporately. Jesus said this verse in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And he's not just talking about a physical need there, right? He's also talking about a mental need, an emotional need, a soulish need. So when you come to Jesus, he meets, he's the great I am who says, basically, I meet all the needs that I've created you to have. Does that make sense? He says, "I made you with certain needs and I'm also the fulfiller of those needs in my way." He says, "I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst." Some people say, "Well, I've been following Jesus for a while and I'm thirsty." Well, my question is, my question is not, "Have you called on the name of Jesus?" but are you doing things his way? Big difference, right? It's one thing to call on his name. It's another um, thing to come to him and do things his way so that your needs might be met. He says, when you do it my way, you'll never thirst. I'm going to tell you, I'm a man who's been through many a trial. Many of you know the trials that we've been through even as a family. But let me tell you something. In the midst of those, I still didn't get thirsty. It was a challenge, but I still didn't go hungry in my soul. You know why? Because I had God, and not only did I have God, but I had his people. Hello. I had his people. I kept coming back to the gates of Zion, and in the place of Zion, though I might have been buffeted the week before, I come back to the Zion, and I see your faces. And when I see your face and I get your encouragement, all of a sudden I get filled up again. Some of you are video gamers in here, and you don't understand that when your bars get low, you're about to be taken out, right? But then you get one of those hearts, and it's like, do, 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 right? That's in the house of the Lord. That is in the house of the Lord, Right? And he says, because of it, it's not despite challenge, it's in the midst of challenge, you'll never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. You've been in the house, but don't believe that he's got the answer for you, that he has. Keep going. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Don't think it's an accident today that you're in the house of God. You are here because he wants you. You hear me? You're here today because he wants you. He says, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Good news. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. God wants to give you not just eternal life, but life to the fullest here and now. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you read your Bible, that's what Jesus said. He said, this devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life, but I've come that you might have life and life to the full. You don't have to be messing around with all those girls. You don't have to be messing around with all the drunkenness or the drugs. You don't have to be messing around with all the things that steal life from you. He's trying to give you life. And he said, if you would repent and believe the good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was raised from the dead for your forgiveness, and can make you a new man or woman from the inside out, he said, I will keep you till that last day. And as you're living life to the fullest now, I'll raise you up on that last day to come and enjoy ruling and reigning with me in my holy heaven. That is the good news of God. And this is why we cling not to cheap grace, but to costly grace. And I'll end it with this word from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, costly grace, not cheap grace like we talked about before, but costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for, who, <clears throat> for which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. I'm sorry, that's not even true. He says, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought, not just once, but every time you come into the gates of Zion, it must be sought again and again the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. It calls us as us to actually move and do something. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. He said, ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. If it costs God much, it cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God.